If you have God's word, I want to invite you to turn to Mark. We're going to be looking at chapter six, looking at verses one through three. And you might say, well, why are we looking at that today? It's kind of an unusual passage, but it's it is really not, I believe. I believe it's the perfect passage. I mean, it's in perfect timing that we're going to look at this dynamic of how Jesus Christ responded when he himself was denied. You know, when I, I, I preach and I'm, I'm, you know, preparing a message, you know, so oftentimes my dream is that as I share what it is that God lays on my heart, that that somehow <laughs> that spiritual formation would happen in somebody's life and that somebody would be impacted and maybe at least one person would be transformed because of what the word of God is telling them. And then on occasion, once in a while, <laughs> You know, my heart is moved and it's sometimes the circumstances of our world around us and different things that's happening that I, I, I just have something well up inside of me. And I want to I want to deliver a message, the kind of message that just turns the tide, you know, that really makes a difference. Because I think a lot of people are feeling that right now in the setting that we're in. And the circumstances of our nation that that there are many people that are rising and they're really wanting to make a difference. And so what I did and give me some latitude here, by the way, what I did is I I Googled speeches that changed the world, so to speak. Depend probably from what perspective you're looking at. But but, you know, as I Googled, there, there was this list that came up. And I just want to kind of go through the list and share them with you. And, and the first one that I hit on was uh, it was in 1588 that Queen Elizabeth was so impassioned in a speech that turned the tides that she promised that she would risk her own life and literally be on the front lines by leading by example. I then go to Mahatma Gandhi in his Quit India speech that set the wheels in motion via passive uh, non-violent resistance that led to India's independence. And it took about five years for that to happen. But, I mean, it was that speech that he gave that kind of really turned the tide and began to impact the world, and we refer to it today. And then on the list I come to Eleanor Roosevelt that worked two years on her Universal Declaration of Human Rights, in which she said as she was speaking to the United Nations, This must be taken as testimony to lift men and women everywhere to a higher standard of life and to a greater enjoyment of freedom. Man's desire for peace lays behind this declaration. In fact, this document had such an impact. It's listed in the Guinness Book of World Records as the uh, document that's been translated into other languages than any other document in history. And that's 350 different languages. Wow. And then on, of course, the top of the pile, we we have to come to Martin Luther King Jr. in his I Have a Dream speech and how that was such an impact for not only that generation, but for generations to come and something that we we think upon. Maybe in these moments that we're we're thinking about and I have to go to the line that he says in that speech or he he speaks in his speech when he says, I have a dream that my four children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. The next on the list is Nelson Mandela, by the way, a friend of the Church of the Nazarene. And he spoke saying, during my lifetime, I have dedicated myself to this struggle of the African people. It is an idea for which I hope to live for and to see realized. 
But my Lord, if it needs be, it is an ideal for which I am prepared to die. It seems that when there was a shift, it seems that when there was a sustainable movement in humanity, when human history seemed to be permanently altered in the direction that it was headed, there's one overriding central theme about these individuals. As I'm reading these speeches and I'm thinking about the, the change that happened that literally shook the ground of humanity. And the overriding central theme for all of them is here it is. You know what it is? They were willing to lay it all on the line. They were willing to lay it on the line. And, and obviously, it wouldn't be without risk. They knew there was tremendous risk. In fact, I, I understand that rejection is scary. And they risked rejection and, and retribution and sometimes even abuse. And, and as Christians, our only right response is to look at the one whom we follow and the one whom we believe in. I mean, we are saying that if, if Jesus is our Savior and he is the one that we are following, he is the one that we want to be like, then we have to ask the question, I mean, what would Jesus be doing right now? I mean, in this world, what would he be, what would he be doing right now? It's like that graffiti on one of the utility boxes here in San Diego. You drive up there, you look at it, and, and, and it's a, a quote from Jesus. He says, I would die again. <laughs> I would die again. I mean, I'm thinking about what Jesus is doing right now, and, and I, I have no doubt in my mind. That there would be some impassion and emboldened and conviction that there would be and it would lead to the very place that he was so many years ago. I, I come to this passage this morning that I, I think will give us direction as believers. It's where Jesus is rejected at Nazareth, his hometown. And, and a little bit of the, the background, some of the context is Jesus had been in great ministry. I mean, he's in the thick of it and he had performed miracle after miracle and and then it seems like as we come here to this passage, you know, just everything falls flat. Or as we read it and we begin to process, does it? I mean, does it really fall flat? So I invite you to listen as we come to this passage. Let's go to Mark uh, chapter 6. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 3. So let's take a moment and look that up. If you have God's word, let's go there. Go to Mark chapter 6. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 through three together. And again, this is Jesus coming to his hometown. And just kind of listen to what's happening here. Try to begin to dissect it in your mind. And then we're going to talk about it a little bit. Again, Mark chapter six, looking at verses one through three. He went away from there and came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? I mean, are they not living here among us? And then the very last phrase of the text is, and they took offense at him. It's interesting no matter how many translations I looked at, that, that, that every group of translators, <laughs> as they are looking at the, the, the Greek Septuagint, it's, it's interesting that they chose to translate it almost exactly the same way, except for the, the Living Bible. The Living Bible says that they were, the, the town was deeply offended. 
But all the other translations, they, they stay true to the very one translation that they, they took offense at him. Now, maybe a couple of the troubled spots that are worthy of our attention may be cause for this rejection. And I want to kind of mention those. So the first one, the first reference that I want to make is, quote, is this not the carpenter? I mean, think about that a moment. Is this not the carpenter? Which is to say, is this not just a common man? In fact, we go to Isaiah chapter 53, 2b, verse 2, part b, and it reads, He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him which would signal that his appearance was but common, that his appearance was not, you know, striking or something, you know, unusual as far as good looks, but that he was very common looking and that he had this common job. I mean, this was a time in, in that century that people, you know, were not looking at the, the person's body and their strength, but they're looking at their status and their position. They were looking at those that had wealth and, and those that had influence. And, and, of course, this was not he, but is this not just the carpenter? And then the second reference that catches my attention in the passage here is the reference of being the son of Mary, you know, instead of the son of Joseph. It's interesting that they don't say the son of of his father, but the son of his mother, which really kind of, you know, lends to the idea that public opinion might be there was some illegitimacy in regards to his birth. You know, just like politicians today, they dig up the deepest and the baddest dirt that they can on their opponent. And so that's kind of happening right here as they're trying to say probably the very worst thing that they possibly can. But the point is that I want to make here is that Jesus was rejected by his hometown. And with that understanding, I want to begin with a question that, that I believe is relevant for us. I mean, especially right now in the times that we're in, and that is, what does it feel like when we are denied something? I mean, obviously, the speech givers that I mentioned in the beginning of my, my sermon, they knew that they were taking a risk and probably they were probably going to be denied some things. But I'm wondering, what does it feel like to really be denied something? Jesus knows about this because later he's denied the honor you know, that he probably desired, I imagine, in the human sense, that he wanted from that hometown. But he says in, in the later part of the chapter here, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. So, so how does it feel? I mean, what's it feel like to really be denied, you know, something that we really, really, really deserve? Or something that we feel, in fact, is our right, which is different than being rejected. I mean, we all have had our ideas rejected. You know, I have an idea. I present it. People say, well, I don't like that idea. I mean, we know what that is. We've experienced that. But when we talk about being denied as a person, that is something deeper that is below the surface. And it becomes kind of personal. Because this is, this is, you know, down in with the alienable rights that we have that we're born with as we talk about in our constitution and in the stinging reality is that while some enjoys those rights and some are given the right of passage or they're given the benefit of doubt, there are those that are still being denied and the question still stands. I wonder what it feels like to really be denied. Today, it's painfully obvious that many, many people feel this way. And I understand I do not even have a right to address probably most of the emotions that people of color or other races or or cultures feel every single day. I mean, I have no right. There's no way that I can relate. I understand that. But what I do understand what you know, what my area is that I, I can justifiably ask about. 
is how do I, as a believer, as a Christian, how do I communicate the gospel to them? How do we, as Christians, balance the reality of the world we live in with the world that is really representative of a growing number of people who have zero reference to faith in Christ and maybe even a little bit of animosity or resistance to the idea of what it means to be Christian? So how do we project empathy and Christian concern without being interpreted as privileged or judgmental? How do we do this without this barrier being, you know, put up? I I then find myself coming back to the text because that's where we want to, you know, be. That's what we want to stay true to is the text. And in fact, we go to the verse, verse three again, and they took offense at him. And notice here, Jesus was being rejected. Yes, but also Jesus is being denied the option to serve where it all began. Remember, this was his hometown. I mean, this is where he played games. This is where he built relationships. And I can imagine, you know, it probably was somewhat painful as he comes to this place and he's not received as maybe possibly wanted to because common sense would say that he would want to be accepted in his hometown, the place of his upbringing, just like I would want to be, you know, by my friends and by my family. And so you can imagine it was probably pretty painful for him. Because if we made it anywhere, we would want to make it in the place that we called home. And so, you know, this is somewhat revealing. It really was probably, you know, I I believe in many ways a a test for him. Just as we've been tested by COVID-19, maybe our patients, as we are being tested by the civil unrest that we're surrounded by right now. We're being tested and we're being stretched because, you see, we're asking the question, you know, as as a believer. You know, what my, what is my role in this? So I, I go back, you know, what would Jesus be doing right now? And, and so I come to the text today and that's why I'm here in this passage, because what the t- text teaches us in the life of Christ is the perfect response that we'd expect from Jesus and what he gives us. He gives us a response of love. We see a loving response from Christ. Though he is not honored and though he's not accepted, he's denied and rejected. But yet he he does a couple things. And I want to mention that or share that with you this morning. The first thing that Jesus does is he 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 builds bridges. So Jesus builds bridges. This means that though he was not honored and rejected right out of the starting gate, he continues to heal. In fact, later on, we read that he heals some. He heals some. I mean, this is something. I mean, this is paramount because it would have been very easy for him to be human. It would have been easy for him to bypass the town and, you know, to feel a little bit rejected, you know, to be really human about it. I mean, it would have been easy to feel a little bit of vengeance, right? But remember this, God says, what? Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. What is the old Chinese proverb? He who seeks vengeance must dig two graves. One for his enemy and one for himself. Leviticus reminds us to not take vengeance or bear a grudge, but to love our neighbor as ourselves. So so I, I think what our circumstances are asking us, the text brings to light. Who are our neighbors? If Jesus was here, who would his neighbors be? Who is our neighbor? See, this is not just about the fact that all men are created equal. 
This is about the fact that all men are created in the image of God. And so rather than, you know, vengeance, so Jesus, what he does is he still heals those that are willing and whether they come directly to him in front of him or whether they're coming in through the side door, through the kitchen door. I mean, I don't know how they get to him, but it alludes to the fact that he continues to heal some. I mean, I mean, this is something because he's building a bridge for those that are willing to respond, even though the things and the issues are so huge. I mean, impossible. Because sometimes things are so big, we just don't know what to do. I came across a, a fun little story that I want to use to illustrate something. And the story is about two old geezers living in the backwoods of the Ozarks, Rufus and Clarence. They lived on opposite sides of the river, and they hated each other. Now, get this. This was a time that families feuded with each other, right? And so, you know, they had these issues. And so what would happen is Rufus had come out every morning, and Clarence had come out every morning, and they had marched down to the river, and Rufus had yelled across the river. He said, Clarence, you're a dirty rat. And if I knew how to swim, I'd swim across this river and whoop you. Well, in return, Clarence would yell across the river and said, Well, Rufus, you're a dirty rat. And if I knew how to swim, I'd swim across this river and I'd whoop you. Well, that went on for 20 years. They had this family feud going and tried to sabotage each other. And, and they'd come out in the morning and yell across the river. They're going to whip each other. And then the Army Corps of Engineers came along and they built a bridge. Well, guess what? They just continued with their tradition. And Rufus had come out, you know, march down the steps of his old cabin and get up to the side of the river and yell across the challenge that he's going to whoop Clarence. And Clarence would yell he's going to whoop Rufus. And they just kind of keep this up and it happened for another five years. So 25 years. Finally, Rufus's wife had had enough. She threw the towel down. She says, you need to go do what you said you're going to do all these 25 years. Well, with that, Rufus kind of stood up and snapped his suspenders and said, you know what, woman, I'm going to do just that. And so he kind of tromps out of the house and he opens the door and walks down the steps of his cabin and down across the hill there in the yard. And, and he walks up on the bridge. And now, you know, his wife is watching through the kitchen window from a distance. And he's marching across the or tromp, tromping across the bridge. And all of a sudden he looks up, turns around, comes running back across the bridge, tromp, 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 and then up the yard and up the steps of the cabin he opens the door and slams the door and locks the door runs in the bedroom and locks that door and grabs his rifle and hides under the bed and uh, his wife comes in said what in the world happened to you and he said well and he kind of was you know trembling just a little bit and she said what happened to you and he said well I was walking across the bridge and I was going to do what I said I was going to do and then I looked up and Clarence had a sign up there and it said Clarence 13 feet 6 inches he didn't look that big across the river <laughs> I think sometimes we are tempted to just retreat we're retreated we're tempted to pull back and to hide because the issues are just too big and, and sometimes are maybe hoping that they'll just go away or somebody will solve those issues. When in reality, probably it, it needs to be us. It needs to be me. And we need to ask ourselves, what is it that God would have me do to really make a difference? And so what Jesus does, that's the example he shows us. He begins to build bridges. But you know what the second thing that Jesus does? Jesus builds credibility. I mean, had Jesus made no truth proclamation, I mean, if he had just kept silent, no one would have taken offense. 
I mean, Jesus could have just walked around the town and he could have just, you know, ignored it completely. But what happens, Jesus builds credibility by not compromising the truth of who he was and what he represented. And you know why he did that? Listen to this. He did that because he loved them. Jesus did that because he loved them. And, and what he did proved that he was more, or let me say it this way, he was less concerned about his personal popularity than he was communicating the truth of God's love. Let me say that again. He was less concerned about his personal popularity than communicating the truth of God's love. And that's interesting as we look at the text here because that's probably the very recipe, and it's not that profound. It's the very recipe of hope that our world needs right now. I mean, the fact is, again, what would what would Jesus do? I mean, Jesus would begin to build bridges. That's what he'd do. And he'd, he'd speak the truth in love. I mean, that's the challenge that he gives us in this text of building bridges and, and speaking the truth in love. And, you know, Jesus did that. You know how he did that for you and I? Because, you see, the scripture teaches us that there is this, this separation between us and God because of sin. We are born with inbred sin, and because of that sin, we are separated from God. And so what Jesus does when he becomes flesh is he goes to Calvary. And folks, the cross becomes the bridge that, that brings us to our creator and allows us to rise up to him and have relationship with him. You see, folks, the issue I know here in our society today, it seems to be racism. It seems to be lawlessness. But, folks, let me say this. Racism is a sin. Lawlessness is a sin. But racism and lawlessness is just a symptom of something that is deeper. And that what is deeper is the sin in people's hearts. And, folks, I've said it a hundred times. If I said it once, the answer for sin and the answer for our world is Jesus Christ. And I believe that those that come to Jesus Christ will be transformed. Their hearts will be made new and there will be a unifying reality as the spirit of God comes down upon us. And we receive the truth of who Jesus Christ is. I pray right now by the grace of God and the Holy Spirit that that spirit would come in and transcend all your thoughts and all your emotions, all your views whether they're liberal or conservative, but that the Holy Spirit would come in and begin to wash over you and there would be this conviction in your heart about making your heart right with God. Because I believe that when people and their heart is made right with God, then we begin to see things rightly and we see our brother and sister rightly because, folks, whether we like it or not, God created every one of us, red or yellow, black and white. God created us and he loves us and he died for every one of us. So I want to challenge us. I want to challenge this church to, to be Christian in a moment that the world is hungry and starving for examples of what it means to really, truly be Christian. Because God wants us to do that. And I believe that God will be honored as we respond. I want to invite you this morning, if there is just a conviction that's fallen across your heart or upon you right now, I want to invite you to confess that to God. If you're hearing, you know, you're within, you know, earshot of my voice and, and God is speaking to you and you're saying, God, I need you to forgive me of my sin. I want to invite you to pray for God to forgive you. If you have never said, God, I want to begin relationship with you. I want to invite you to begin now to say, God, I want you to ha- be in my life. Jesus, I want you to come into my heart. I want you to be my savior. And I believe that God, I believe that Jesus will bridge the tide. 
Jesus built bridges and he built credibility because he represented the love of God and he didn't avoid it. Let's do that together. Let's pray. Precious Father in heaven, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you, Father, for your your wonderful, your beautiful love. Your love that transcends everything, every issue, every circumstance that we can imagine. And, And Lord, I'm not saying that we just you know, look away and act like there's nothing to have a conversation about. We can have conversations, but Father, we can do it with love. And so, Lord, I pray that your spirit would fall upon us and you'd help us to be, Lord, ambassadors of your love, your ambassador of mercy, your ambassador of grace. And I pray that, Lord Jesus, by your might and your power, Lord, the bridge would be built. The people will be transformed because they're experiencing you through us, your children. Lord, be with that one that's praying right now where they're at and they're saying, Jesus, I want a relationship with you. Be with that one that's praying the prayer, God, please forgive me. And I pray, God, that you would forgive them. Thank you for that. And just fill them with your your blessing right now. Thank you, Father, for hearing these prayers. Thank you for the work that you're doing right now. Thank you, Lord. We trust you, Father. We give it all to you. We ask all these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, maybe a confession prayer, repentance prayer, what the Lord laid on your heart, you'd like to share that with me. I'll just be between you and I. Go to missionas.org and uh, uh, send an email to the office and our uh, our secretary, Beth, our office administrator, really, she'll she'll make sure that I get that. And so... Uh, just send in. If, if you respond or you prayed, I want to hear about it. And uh, that would just be a blessing to me. Thank you so much for joining us. We're so happy that you're with us and you're worshiping with us today. May God bless you. May your, your Sabbath be awesome. Go love somebody today for Jesus. God bless you. You're dismissed.